you have these accounts of Vishnu Ghosh or other teachers saying, these people knew what they were talking about. This work is really important. So even their teachers were saying that, but there's still this belief that, that history is going to pick the best people to remember. And that's just not true. Hello, yogis, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dharma Talk. I'm your host, Henry Winslow, and this is episode number 65. And today's episode is a special one. It's the very first time that we are having a guest back on for a repeat visit, special interview. So the formatting will be a little bit different from what you're used to. My guest this week is Ida Joe. Now, if you want to hear her answer the question about what does Dharma mean to her and go through the prana round, you can check out her initial interview back on episode 18. And she actually came on with her research partner, Scott Lamps. For those of you who have not heard that episode or are not otherwise familiar with Ida and Scott's work, they are not only yoga teachers, but committed and enthusiastic yoga researchers who have immersed themselves, especially in the Bengali region of India and in Kolkata, studying the history of yoga in that region and how it has translated and disseminated over into the West. Now, she's coming on the podcast this week to share a new project, which is near and dear to her heart and consuming her efforts at the moment. It's called the Women of Yoga Project. I personally think that this work is super important and really interesting. So that's why I invited her to come back on the show and talk a bit about it. You're going to hear from Ida about the mission of the Women of Yoga Project and how some surprising discoveries in Kolkata, India have opened the doors to provocative questions underlying gender dynamics in yoga even today. You'll hear about the Bengali circus strong woman turned yoga therapist and the published women's yoga author and teacher who are both forgotten in the annals of history. She'll share three of her top highlights and three open questions from her research thus far and how you can help bring these stories to light. And finally, Ida talks a bit about what she's learned about herself through this deep dive into the Women of Yoga Project and how curiosity has evolved into activism. So all of that is coming up very soon. Please just stay tuned through these announcements and we'll dive into my second interview with Ida Joe. Hey yogis, here's what's going on in my world in the coming months. I hope that you can join me for some of these events. On July 10th, Wednesday evening, I'm teaching a donation-based yoga class at Three Jewels to benefit Woodstock Sanctuary, which is an animal rescue shelter up in upstate New York. So please come out to that and show some support, make a donation, whatever you feel comfortable donating. Then later that week on Saturday, July 13th, I'll be back at Three Jewels to give a workshop on purification practice, mantra, pranayama, and kriya for clarity. On August 14th, that's a Wednesday night, I'll be teaching a rocket yoga, ashtanga-inspired masterclass at Pure Yoga West in New York. And then on October 12th and 13th, I'll be back at Pure Yoga West to do a full weekend of rocket yoga. And finally, if you'd like to travel with me to do some yoga, please come to Austin, Texas, my old stomping grounds. 
on October 3rd through 6th for a four-day, 30-hour lighthouse yoga immersion with Jared McCann. And or come to Shala Ananda Yoga in Bucerias, Mexico with me and my wife, Veronica Lambo, October 25th through 27th. So for the details on all of those events and links to sign up, please head on over to henrywins.com slash events. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode. Today is a bit of a milestone because for the very first time, I have a repeat guest. Please welcome Ida Joe. Ida is a yoga acharya. She is the co-author of the Ghosh Yoga Practice Manuals and has edited and published several historic yoga manuals from Kolkata, India. She works closely with Ghosh's Yoga College in Kolkata and teaches yoga internationally. And um, if you remember, she was on episode 18. So if you'd like to hear more from her after this episode, you can go back and check that out to hear her share her dharma for the first time here on this podcast. But today we're going to be talking about the Women of Yoga Project. We know the stories about the men from India who taught yoga. What is still missing, as is often the case with history, are the stories of the women. These women were yogis, strong women, circus performers, teachers, and authors, yet they have been forgotten. If history had been written differently, they would be the ones we know and celebrate. So, Ida, thank you for coming on and championing this project. First of all, how are you doing? thank you. I'm doing very well, Henry. Thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, my pleasure. And actually, now that I think about it, the episode that you came on last time was also a milestone because it was the first time we ever had two guests on at once. You came on with your partner in crime, Scott Lamps. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So we're just like blazing through these milestones together. Totally. Love it. Totally are. (laughs) So I'm going to start with um, a different question since you've already answered the question about Dharma. Okay. So there's an idea that's popular that's floating around out in yoga classes and yoga teacher trainings, even that historically yoga was practiced only by men. And this wave that we're seeing now of women practicing yoga in popular culture is a recent Western phenomenon. True or Mm -hmm. false? False. (laughs) (laughs) false yeah you know it's so interesting i i've been getting so interested in that question specifically so thank you for asking that and starting with it you know how do we come from this idea that yoga is for men by men to like most of the practitioners or a large percentage of the practitioners i shouldn't say most talking to you but a large percentage of the practitioners being women. It's so interesting to me. Um, And, you know, there's been pushes throughout time, even going back to like the Bhagavad Gita, like so way back in time, you know, to democratize yoga and to make it more accessible to everybody, 
you know, whether you're male or female, you're rich or poor. Um, but it has certainly remained a lot for men and specifically men of the highest caste, but not exclusively, you know, and then there's been pushes throughout time much more recently to include women and to talk about like what a yoga practice looks like for women. And it's a, it's a really interesting thing that's happened because so many of the teachers that we know about, of course, now there are more Western modern female teachers, but a lot of the teachers that we know about still remain men. Yes, it, it does seem that way, which is, and that's an interesting point that you just um, ended with, which is that even though in, in this particular era that we're in right now, where I do think it's fair to say that most yoga practitioners, at least in this country, are women, I would say it's more than yeah. 50%. Yeah. And yet many of the, te- the teachers disproportionately that you hear about are still men. Right. What do you make of that? And based on your research, how, what sort of answers are you coming to, to some of these questions? And I know that's a broad question, but we'll start with that. Yeah. Well, the research that I've just started working on, and it's, it's definitely in its infant stages. And so I don't know that I can get to the heart of your question at this point, but that it's, that question is informing what I'm working on. Um, and you know, I think there's this idea that there weren't women teachers and that's why we don't know of them. And that is what kind of propelled me into this research about the women of yoga, because once I started looking, there were so many references to women teaching yoga. Um, I found a, a reference to a woman in the 1930s who's you know, she's dressed in a sari in India, but she's do, like flexing her muscles and doing yoga. Um, but what I know of her are more from the lens of her husband. Um, and then you get a woman that I've been researching quite a bit recently, uh, Labanya Pali. She's from the 1950s, and she wrote a book in 1955 that was tailored toward female practitioners, you know, talking about the benefits of practicing for women and how women can incorporate yoga into their home and how they can practice what they should practice. But for, you know, whatever reason, nobody knows about her and nobody knows about this book, even though it's was 11 years before Iyengar's book, you know, and not necessarily to compare the two, but just to make the statement that there were women publicly teaching and publicly writing about yoga, yet we don't know them, you know? And so looking into the heart of why is, is a really important part of this research. And I think, you know, you can make a lot of assumptions about it. I don't know that I'm, I'm ready to make like a a specific reason, but you can't underplay just the roles of society and culture and the time period. And the fact that you know, a lot of men throughout history have been lifted up and their stories have been told and the women's haven't. And it's, it's interesting to put that side by side with this research about the fact that there were women doing the same work, right? And why we don't know about them, but we know about the men is interesting. Yeah, yeah, you're right that you can't set aside the cultural context in which these 
uh, teachers and and stars, if you will, come mm-hmm. up. And I think that applies not only with whether they're celebrated in history, but also in into the way that the teaching actually spread out in their time. You mentioned right. that you know one of these teachers that you came across published the book in 1955. It was about yoga tailored to the women's lifestyle. Mm-hmm. What was kind of the what was the content of that of that book and specifically how did she teach yoga geared toward women in 1955 what was different about the practice that she was instructing sure yeah well it's not unlike the way that it is now i mean she's te- she in that particular book she's teaching about 40 postures many of them that that we would all know today you know you have your camel rabbit stretching you know, the same postures that the men were teaching. So it wasn't as though the practices needed to be changed in order to be appropriate for women. But she's getting at this fact that that women should practice, right? That these things shouldn't be reserved only for men or only for like strong men or things like that, that the women can do the same things that the men can do and they should and that there's benefit. Um, a lot of the the writing, you know, references the fact that women are at home. So some interesting things are like using chairs at home, um, using like your broom for a prop, you know, using these things that, that you have in the home in order to help practice. And that's, I think, very enlightening to the fact that it's assuming women are at home, you know, and that's their place that they're going to be practicing. So that shows you what the the cultural um, thinking was but it but you know the at the same yeah. yeah yeah at the same point they're saying do these things these are the same things the men are doing there's no reason that the women shouldn't be doing them too they have the same benefits um, mm-hmm. well first of all so i just have to say that it's it's funny to imagine um like using these like home objects as props because that's the kind of thing that you see people doing on Instagram now, men and women all the time. And it's just, it makes me laugh every time. I know. Um, It's so funny. One of the, (laughs) one of the pieces of research that I found along with, I have a woman in Calcutta who's helping me. She's amazing. um, Chandrima Paul, and she's a journalist there. So she's this master researcher. I'm so lucky to be working with her. Um, But she found a, a newspaper article from the 1930s you know, where this woman in a sari is, is using chairs and stuff. And it's like, now there's this whole brand of chair yoga, but like, this is just, this is just what people did. When it was reintroduced, (laughs) I'm sure it was, it was positioned as being a brand new thing to make yoga more accessible to different people. But yeah, all of these things have roots probably much earlier, even than what we're talking about. Absolutely. That's the thing. Totally. Yeah, you're right. It's like, you find something a little bit earlier and then you think, well, where did they get it? They got it from right. somebody else earlier before them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this yeah. is interesting that the, um, you know, the, uh, the practices themselves that are being taught by women to women, even at mm-hmm. this period are the same as the ones mm-hmm. that the, the more well-known celebrated in history, male teachers are teaching. Yeah. The practices don't change, but the voice and the vehicle of that teaching do need to change in order for a different segment of the audience to be receptive to it. And, exactly. you know, that, that's an important lesson that I think even carries through today for all the teachers who are listening. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the this particular book that I've been talking about, Bishnu Ghosh, um, so sort of the father of, of Ghosh Yoga, who was uh, Labanya Palit's teacher, he writes the introduction for this book, and he says that she's so much more qualified to be talking about these things than he is because she's a woman. She knows how these things feel in her body. She knows what practices help her, what practices don't. And so therefore she's more qualified even than he is to be talking about these things. And it's an interesting, you know, angle to think about, like you said, like, you know, do we know what somebody who has a totally different body type than us or totally different gender, do we really know how they feel when they practice? You know, we know our personal experience. Yeah. And, and Bishnu Ghosh in this instance has the, not only the wherewithal, but also the humility to be able to say, you know, this, my student, um, Labanya mm-hmm. Palit, she actually is more capable and, um, has a, is in a better position of authority to be able to speak on these things to a certain group of people. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned another person earlier on who was able to become known because her husband happened to be well-known in the yoga space. Yeah. Have you found that that's a current or a, a repeating pattern that men tend to lend like uh, an ear of credibility to certain women who did manage to slide through the cracks in history? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's something that I want to explore more. I mean, because I've known about this particular woman, her name was Reba Das, and she was married to a man named Nomoni Das. And Nomoni Das was a contemporary of Bishnu Ghosh from the same neighborhood. He's quite well known or was quite well known in the area because he published books and posters about how to practice. So basically practice guides. Um, but you have his wife who clearly also was teaching and also was practicing and, you know, was in the paper and was people were, were at least to a certain extent talking about her and interested in what she had to say. Yet, you know, I had never heard her name, even though I had heard his from the very first time I started researching any of this stuff um, years back. And so whether or not she was just, you know, kind of a, an addition to like, oh, yeah, and the women should do it, too type of thing, or she was really supporting him and trying to perpetuate his name. You know, I don't know at this point, but that's, that's such an interesting angle that we're looking into is like, how does this happen that we know these men, but we don't know these women when they were married, they were teaching the same thing. You know, they were both writing. Why is this the case? And has your research um, been mostly focused on on Kolkata and that region in the north of India? Yeah, that's where I've been focusing so far. Um, But as, you know, as any research project or any study goes, as soon as you kind of find one thing, you realize, oh, yeah, there's probably so much else. So the main goal of this project to start with is to continue to focus on um, Calcutta and Bengal region, which is a slightly larger region. And then hope that this kind of inspires enough interest and passion about these stories that perhaps we can look into, you know, totally different regions because there's no doubt that, that the similar thing has happened in other places. You know, we know certain people's names and we don't know other people's names and we know certain people's books and we don't know other people's books. And, um, 
it's not that this stuff doesn't exist. It's just that nobody's really pulled it out yet. And I would love for this to spread beyond um, Kolkata and and into the larger scope of of yoga. Yeah, totally. And I, I hear you on that. You know, any research project or experiment in science or any kind of um, any kind of academic pursuit with integrity needs to be focused. So um, it takes some reservation, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure you're getting all sorts of different leads in different directions that you would love to explore. But in order exactly. to do justice to the project at hand, yeah, you got to stay stay on task. That's kind of how it's been. Yeah, it's like you really have to hold back the reins because you're, you're, you're get pulled in so many interesting and worthwhile directions. You know, it's like no story is more important than a different one. Um, but yeah, in order to have something cohesive that takes less than a lifetime to, to get out there, you have to kind of narrow your scope. So at this point it's narrowed by region. And again, hopefully it expands beyond that. But the goal right now is to, to gather, you know, women's stories from the 1900s in the Bengal region and get those out there in either book form or probably book form or media form of some kind and, and hopefully spark this greater creativity and greater in, interest into what's beyond that. Yes. So... I understand that the research is still in its preliminary infancy phase. Yeah. Um, are you are you still funding on Kickstarter for the project? Yeah, yeah. So we have a crowdfunding uh, Kickstarter going on right now, um, which is you know geared toward getting all of this research off the ground. Um, I have, like I mentioned, a, a research partner in Calcutta, and I have as we speak, uh, a few grad students frantically and diligently translating a bunch of material um, so that we can get it in English and we can get it published here so that people here in the West can learn about these things, learn about these stories, about these women. And so the Kickstarter is to really get the research off the ground um, because it, it takes a lot of people and it takes a lot of energy um, to get, to get it all to come together. And so what's interesting about the Kickstarter is that right away, since we found this, this book from 1955, that's unheard of, and it hasn't been published, that's what we're offering right up front. So you get to read this full account, uh, from this really amazing woman from 1955, um, from the Kickstarter. And then what you're funding really is the larger look into these stories. And we specifically, um, you know, have, have tried to make this uh, a movement. You know, it's not one thing. It's there are so many stories. There are so many women. There's a chance to really shift our understanding and really broaden our understanding. And I think that's really exciting. I know there's always the, the pushback in some ways, you know, when from people that maybe want to keep their, their view as it is in their mind right now, but it's a chance for all of us to have our horizons broadened and to have a chance to hear so many different perspectives that just aren't out there right now. Yeah. And whether you have resistance to that or not, I don't think anyone can, not, can deny that 
being exposed to new perspectives is really the only way to to grow and yes, your understanding yeah. and and, yeah. and your beliefs. Yeah, well said. So, how do people support the Kickstarter? Um, you can find it very easily off of goshyoga.org, G-H-O-S-H yoga.org, um, or any of our Gosh Yoga social media. We are in the last uh, home stretch of the project. We still have quite a bit of ways to go. So if anyone's interested, I encourage you to check it out and, and to reach out if you have any questions about it. Um, but you can pretty easily find it through our website or through our social media. Okay, great. So they can find it at goshyoga.org. Yeah. You've already yeah. offered one enticing uh, carrot to yes. encourage people to, to donate with yeah. the 1955 manuscript. Mm -hmm. um, but to to help maybe push a few people who are sitting on the edge over, yeah. tell me three of the most, one to three of your top most interesting things you found in your research so far. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, the main kind of woman that I that I actually got interested in this project because of was a woman named Reba Rakshi. Um, she was from the 1960s, a little bit later than Labanya Pali. And she was like a star circus performer, actually. And so she was kind of the, the first fem like strong woman, so female, strong performer. <laughs> so she would do the stunts just like the men would do. She would have elephants walk across her chest. She would have motorcycles run over her. Like these crazy, crazy stunts that belonged in the circus or in performance but she would do them. And she was really well known because this was so rare and uh, so interesting. And so she, she was affiliated with Ghosh and um, Bishnu Ghosh speaks very highly of her and her ability. Uh, but like so many of these stories, she stopped performing once she got a little bit older and just couldn't take the wear and tear on her body anymore. And then she actually spent quite a long time teaching prescriptive yoga. So she taught the women uh, prescriptive yoga in Calcutta and then uh, ended her, her life ended with not much family or, you know, not a lot of people that knew about her. And it just, her story kind of fizzled out from there. So she's a, she's a very interesting character uh, because she was a, really a true star in her time. Um, and so that's, we've, discovered quite a bit about her, even found some writing that she did, uh, which is really interesting. Um, and then, yeah, then it kind of spans in both directions t in time period wise. So earlier into the 1930s, where you have these uh, women that are teaching chair yoga or the beginnings of chair yoga. And then you get, if you go the other direction, so a little bit later in time through the late 60s and 70s, you have the birth of like the contortion-based practitioners. So really deep um, physical practitioners, these women that could do, you know, now what is considered yoga, you know, these ha handstand backbends and things like that. Um, but they were kind of the, the beginnings of that. Very interesting. Yeah. Especially that first woman, the circus performer who yes. went on to become a prescriptive yoga teacher. Mostly, mm -hmm. well, maybe not mostly, but in, in one sense, because her trajectory mirrors yeah. so closely Vishnu Ghosh and, and Bikram. Totally. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so but interesting. Total, you know, superstars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she was. I mean, I, there's there are quotes from Bishnu Ghosh talking about her being like the true star. This she's this amazing performer. She can do all these stunts, and you're absolutely right. Like then, at some point, what happens? Because people know Ghosh, people know Bikram, and they don't know her. But she was doing all of the same things. And I think what's so interesting about her is that it wasn't even just she was doing like some basic yoga postures, which maybe weren't as impressive. She was doing the most impressive things that that one could think of, you know, hanging on swords and all these crazy things that we don't do anymore today. Um, But she was really well known for them in her time. And so why that has all kind of fizzled out is is really the question. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and, and you know, the specificity and, and expertise that you're talking about with this particular woman mm-hmm. um, is pretty characteristic of that region and that lineage of yoga, you know, this performative aspect mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. came with the yoga in, in Calcutta. And, and yeah. it just makes me wonder, it, I know that you're ha- going through the same thing, but it's like, yeah, if only we could ask these questions about all the, all the other regions as well. There's just so much to explore. Exactly. Exactly. And this is really just the beginning um, because, yeah, it was happening so many places. And imagine if we prod into these things and we dig a little bit, who knows what will come up. So exciting. So in addition to those kind of three most interesting things Mm -hmm. that you've found so far, Mm -hmm. what are, you know, one to three questions that you're hoping to be able to explore more deeply with the funding that's going to come from the Kickstarter to really put together um, a project that you'll be excited to to share? Sure. Yeah. Um, Well, I want to really look into these people's lives, you know, where did they come from? How was the yoga incorporated into their life. There are so many stories of Vishnu Ghosh, you know, picking talent. So what did he see in them or did he approach them or did they approach him? Um, or if they weren't affiliated with Ghosh, you know, in the case of Reba Das, you know, where did she learn? What was she teaching? You know, does she have books? Does she have posters? Um, and, and then, looking into the the heart of when they were in their prime and what they were doing. Was it asana? Was it stunt work? Was it performance? You know, what was it? And then kind of the, the fall after that, what did something happen that specifically pushed them out of the public attention? Uh, were they pushed out? You know, was there something that, that all of a sudden they, they shouldn't be in the spotlight anymore? Um, or was it their choice? And there's always this idea of, you know, people that maybe are performers and then they realize, oh, I, that they personally are interested in maybe a, a quieter life or not being in the spotlight as much. So it, that's also possible that that some of them just didn't want to be in the spotlight anymore and wanted their privacy. Um, but looking at, you know, those questions is is really what I'm interested in. And then the larger question, maybe the second thing, if you will, is why we don't know these people? Why do we don't know these stories? You know, And are these cultural issues where it's been very decided to tell one side and not the other? Or has it just 
happened this way, which I think is probably doubtful (laughs) that it just happened to be that it's very one-sided. And then, you know, lastly, how do we get from this really male focused teaching, um, you know, popularity of male teachers that have really brought yoga to the West? How do we get from that to female practitioners? You know, that's a, that's a really interesting leap. And somebody like Bishnu Ghosh was interested in weightlifting and bodybuilding. So how do we get from that to, you know, a, a really female focused practice? And these are questions right. that, that are really interesting. For sure. Yeah. It's, it does seem that there's like a, an unexplained leap there that happened that right. um, kind of needs to be accounted for. And I'm, right. yeah, I'm exactly. with you that it's very unlikely that this is total coincidence and cultural um, conditioning is certainly a factor. Mm -hmm. I think the next question is to what degree is the cultural conditioning a factor at that time? And to what degree is the cultural conditioning of our current era and our current situation a factor in this? That's so well put. Yeah, totally. I mean, what the fifties in India uh, were you know obviously a very different time period than what we're in now in the West. But you know what's interesting is even just from putting this project out in the open and starting to talk about it, even being in 2019 in the West, you know there's been comments made about well their work was probably not quite as good as the men or they were inferior in terms of their talent or their instruction. So that's why we don't know about them. And, you know, even today to get those comments, I think it's probably more common than I like to think, but there's still this belief that that history is going to pick the best people to remember. And that's just not true. You know, I mean, there's so many other issues that affect it. And you have these accounts of Bishnu Ghosh or other teachers saying, these people knew what they were talking about. This work is really important. So even their teachers were saying that. And so why then mm-hmm. Why then is there this leap to like, well, probably they're not remembered because they're not as accomplished, you know, which is just, it's just not true. But even today, there's the trend of wanting to believe that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, this fallacy of meritocracy. Right. The truth is that, history is a narrative that's woven by historians and mm-hmm. yeah there's a downside to that of course which is that stories get forgotten but the upside is that there's room for another storyteller to come in and sure. provide yeah. the revisionist history or the alternative history or just a different angle and right. i applaud you for doing that i think it's really important work one more question i would like to ask you yeah. about all of this is what have you learned about yourself in the process of diving into this, these annals of history? Mm, so yeah. Far? Yeah. Well, the, what I've been learning over the past couple of years is how much I, I really care about these stories, um, male or female really. But the last few years have been really focused on uh, Buddha bows and Vishnu Ghosh and, and, and the men. But what's been interesting is that I didn't expect more recently is that I really care about this, the society angle of it and the culture angle of it. And I've always been, I've always thought that I would be more passionate about, I guess, if you want to call it activism, 
um, than I am. But this has kind of stirred something up in me where then when you get the comments about they're not remembered because they didn't do as well or something, you're like, what? <laughs> you know, and it's really stirred up this desire to like, kind of get it out there and into people's hands that like, no, for whatever reason, we have forgotten about these people. And like, it's up to us now, not to because of the statement that it makes, you know, that that we have to embrace these other versions of history. Otherwise, we're continuing to perpetuate this history. You know, like once there's something out there that is maybe slightly different from the version that we've known, if we then choose to look the other way, you know, now we're actively participating in it. If it's just yeah. not out there, that's different. Um, but I think I, I've I've gotten really interested in like, just mainly getting it out there so that people have to either look at it or incorporate it into, you know, how they, how they see the history of yoga and where it came from. And of course, you know, everyone has their, their personal thoughts on that and that's important, but we can't know a broader perspective unless we have more information, you know, and get those other things out there. So it's, it's definitely kind of, lit a fire in me that I, I wasn't necessarily expecting, you know, I kind of thought, Oh, this is, a, this will be an interesting project, you know? And then it's been like, Oh no, this is going to be, I'm like, I'm, I need to do this because now it's here it is. And it hasn't been a huge challenge to find more stories. You know, they're just buried just a little bit. And if you just scratch the surface, you know, there's a lot there. And so that tells me that there's even more there if we dig a little bit deeper, like you say, look into different regions and um, putting that, that other side to the story, I think is, it's really important and it's appropriate for the time that we're in, in the West as well. For sure. Yeah. It sounds like you went from being interested to being impassioned about yeah, this and totally. really, you really feel that it's a cause to stand behind. And I, I do, like what yeah. you said about, um, you know, when it comes to either uplifting the voices of the silent or willfully choosing to ignore them, mm -hmm. either one that you do, that's a decision. Exactly. You know, it's, you, you can't really be neutral once you know. So yep. We'll make that the, the call to action to get on the Kickstarter and support this project if you feel that this is a cause you'd like to stand behind as well, Dharma Talk community. So once again, that is at goshyoga.org. Mm -hmm. awesome. and, um, and Ida, yeah. is there anything else that you would like to leave the listeners with before we go? I think we've covered quite a bit of it. I encourage everyone to, um, you know, if they're interested in the project, to stay with us because this will be hopefully just the beginning of, of so much more. And also if you've heard stories or, you know, any of your listeners have heard stories about women or come across references or, or even maybe not women, but just interesting practitioners or writers that, that we've kind of forgotten about or, or not known about, you know, bring them to the surface because I think this is a really a, a group effort here. You know, there's, there's so much more out there than I can, on earth on my own. And I hope that this inspires other people to keep looking at where we came from and, and looking how that informs where we're going. Awesome. So we know how we can support you in your Dharma, at least mm -hmm. at this point mm -hmm. in, in your life, at this point in the project. 
how can um, how can the audience get in touch with you? Yeah, please reach out. Anybody, um, you can email me goshyogabook at gmail g h o s h yogabook at gmail dot com, or reach out on any type of social media, or again on the website. Send us an email, myself or my partner Scott, and we'd love to be in touch. Ida, thank you so much for doing this work and also for taking time out of your research schedule to, to share with me and the Dharma Talk community. I appreciate it. I know many of the listeners will as well, and I hope we can get um, a new rally of effort behind the Kickstarter too. So awesome. thank you. Thank you so much, Henry. I, I adore your podcast. I listen to it frequently, and I always follow what, you got, what you're doing and your teaching, and it's awesome. Hey, Dharma Talk community, if you enjoyed this podcast and you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button right now. And if you'd like to show your support even more, leave me an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you listen on. You can also make a financial contribution to keep the show up and running, a donation at henrywins.com. And remember, I'm here to serve you. So if you have any questions or comments or ideas, you can always reach me on Instagram at Henry Wins. Otherwise, I'll speak to you next week. Keep living your dharma.